Thanks for joining us for the Hospitality Hangout, a hospitality-focused podcast where the founders of Brandon Hospitality Ventures share their insights and bring technology and innovation leaders that are making things happen in the industry we love. My name is Jimmy Frischling, otherwise known as the finance guy. I'd like to introduce my partner, Mr. Michael Chatsberg, also known as the restaurant guy. And thanks for that kind and warm introduction, Jimmy. And to all those listening, feel free to call me Shatsy. And together, we are the personalities behind branded strategic hospitality. We work at the intersection of hospitality, food service, technology, innovation, capital, and of course, let's not forget incredible books and things like that. Jimmy, you know that that's a big part of our value proposition. We love reading. We love writing. We love all sorts of books and things like that. Uh, in fact, I curled up to a great book this weekend. Uh, it was raining uh, a little bit, so I, I got a great book about uh, the digital restaurant. And I love nothing more than reading a digging into a good book about the digital <laughs> ecosystem. Anyway, Jimmy, we got an incredible show, all kidding aside. And I got to tell you, Jimmy, but there's just two things I was thinking about this weekend. Do you want me to tell two you what they are? Please, share. Outside of the incredible book that I read, which from Outside my understand will become a movie, and guess who will be playing the lead role in the movie? That's right, Shatsy will be. Anyway, <laughs> uh, if, I gotta tell you, Jimmy, I was thinking about the Weekend Update, this incredible newsletter that Jimmy and, and, and Julia put together every Saturday morning without fail. The Weekend Update comes out into everyone's inbox, if you subscribe. Go to theweekendupdate.news. Put your email in there, check it out. Read it once, if you don't like it, cancel. But I gotta tell you, I think you're gonna really like it. It's really fun and entertaining. It's a very quick read, and I gotta tell you, everyone's <laughs> loving it. So check out the weekendupdate.news, subscribe. I think you're gonna dig it. And you know what it costs to 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 read this newsletter, Jimmy? Sounds very expensive, must be very I, expensive. With, listen, you think? With the content you think? you're putting in there, I've seen newsletters at 20, 30, 40. $100 a month. I've seen newsletters for $1,000 a month. Jimmy, this newsletter is free. Free. It's free. free. It's good. And free the young. last thing I was thinking about, because that was on Saturday morning, I read the newsletter and I said, I got to talk about this. The other thing I want to talk about, if look, if you're an operator and you're looking for a technology solution out there, trying to figure out what's the best inventory system, what's the best scheduling system, online ordering system, point of sale, whatever you're thinking about, go to boom.store. Go to boom.store, check it out. And we have over 450 different tech providers listed on there. Ratings, reviews. Jimmy, I got to tell you, you got to check it out. And Jimmy, this is another thing. You know what this cost? Sounds very expensive. You would think between the weekend update and the, and the boom dot store, you'd be spending a couple hundred dollars a, a month, right? No, what, it's it free. It's free, Jimmy. So check out boom.store. Go there, check it out, search, rate, review, your favorite technology, the best. You want to learn a little something? It's it's all there, okay? That's all I have to say. Those are my shameless plugs. Jimmy, let's get on to it because we've got a great show. We do, Shatsy. Now, you know what I got to tell you? I appreciate the uh, the shameless plugs you made for our, our weekend update, our, our marketplace boom. But we do have two fantastic guests and we got to jump into the podcast, or they're going to ask their own booker and producer, why the hell did you bring me back to these guys? I but agree. You know what? Here's a tease. They've been with us before. Okay, we are very excited for today's episode. We get to welcome back our friends, Kyle Osborne, Meredith Sandlin, authors of the book, Delivering the Digital Second Restaurant. Second book. Second Your book. Roadmap to the Future of Food, and to talk about their new book, Delivering the Digital Restaurant, The Path, to digital maturity. We're gonna have a lot of fun today, so let's get into it. Um, listen, because our podcasts are released on Tuesdays, we now have introduced the section Trivia Tuesdays. Please never confuse it with Taco Tuesdays. Each week we share some fun I'm trivia questions hungry, about, about each of our guests, but here's the catch. You have to tune into the end of the episode to find out the answers. The way we play Trivia Tuesdays, we're gonna play a game Two truths and a lie. Shatsy, I know you know how to play it, but I, for I've been our killing listeners, it. I've been, this, is, this, is my, this is my jam. Yeah, so here we go. I'm going to list three facts. I say that in air quotes. Facts about our friends Carl and Meredith. Two are true. One is false. Here we go. Meredith's husband is a hypnotist. Fact two. Carl was once hypnotized to bark like a dog. I have to tell you, I couldn't say that lie without smiling. Carl was hypnotized to bark like a dog. And fact three. That, that I'm going to go with. I got to tell you, because anytime you see these hypnotists on stage, they're always, they're always doing that. They're always making nah. someone bark Chicken. like a dog. 
chicken. Chicken. I think chicken? that's fake. I think it's, it's I think an animal. They make you act like an animal. Chicken. All right, but fact three. Meredith was the one who hypnotized Carl to bark like a dog. No, okay, Meredith's no, husband no, was a hypnotist. No, no. Carl was once hypnotized to bark like a dog, and Meredith was the one to hypnotize Carl. Yeah, to bark I already like know a dog. the answers, by the way, Jimmy. It's it's right. we, we already know the answer to that. Okay. All, All right, right here we go. Now we get to bring in our guests. Remember, please stick around to the end of the episode to get the answers. All right, Carl and Meredith, you guys are KG veterans. You know the drill. You've been on our show before. We're gonna let you guys take the lead. Please give us a little background about yourselves and, of course, how you met to collaborate. For anyone who have missed the first time you did this uh, episode, did the hospital, did the hospital to hang out with us? Well, we're so excited to be here. And I, I love the newsletter also. I have to say that that is my preferred thing to curl up yes. on the sofa with on a radio. I'm feeling, I'm feeling like, I'm feeling, I got to start, I'm going to bark like a dog in about a minute. I think she's using her powers <laughs> on me already, Jimmy. Jimmy, it's Meredith who's the one. <laughs> I, I, I am. I mean, I am your avid reader. <laughs> I love it. Exactly right. um, well, I am Meredith Sandland, uh, and as you said, co-author of the two books, Delivering the Digital Restaurant, Your Roadmap to the Future of Food, as well as the one that just came out, uh, Delivering the Digital Restaurant, The Path to Digital Maturity. And where did we come from? Why did we write these books? Well, um, my background, uh, I was at Taco Bell for many years, uh, re- leading development there and building lots and lots of Taco Bells and started to wonder, you know, why are we building all these Taco Bells next to malls when no one goes to malls anymore? That seems kind of weird. And that planted a seed, which only grew when we tried to enter Manhattan. And I thought, why are we paying the world's most expensive real estate prices when 40% of our sales are going out the door delivery? So that seed grew. And I thought it sure would be great if there was a commissary that we could just deliver all this food out of um, rather than having a really expensive store. And fast forward a couple of years, I met the guys at Kitchen United, who at the time were three guys in an old culinary school. And I thought, oh my gosh, they're making the thing that I as the customer want. And so I uh, went and joined them and got the business model established and raised the initial capital and all those good things. And about that time, my story intersected with Carl's. That's how it all happened. Wait for it. Wait for it. Here comes Shatsy. Don't interrupt. There was a handoff. Don't interrupt, Shatsy. Woof, woof. <laughs> and that's when she hypnotized me. And uh, yeah, so no, so Meredith obviously came from according to many metrics, the largest restaurant company in the world. And I was at that time working at a well, just before I met Meredith at a, a large uh, oil and gas company. But I'd spent 15 of my 18 years in the retail space. And at that time, I'd just finished running a 1,000-unit franchise chain by the name of AMPM. And I wanted to get into something a bit more innovative, faster paced, perhaps more akin to where the future is heading. Because you know, convenience these days is really managed by a small little company called Amazon, as opposed to these gas station stores out there. And so you know, I, I wanted to speak to folks that had made that transition from big company blue chip world into the the startup environment and a mutual friend of Meredith and mine um, introduced us and it was through the conversation there that Meredith said yeah well I'm doing this thing in ghost kitchens now and at that time I thought well this is a doozy isn't it because uh, what the heck is a ghost kitchen this uh, may, 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 sounds scary there. I'll tell you that girl <laughs> sounds scary yeah, I was like all right well let's 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 wrap this up quickly but soon as you can imagine Meredith started to explain the logic as she was just alluding to there about why ghost kitchens made so much sense and I was immediately drawn in the fact that Google Ventures were behind Kitchen United as well was further evidenced behind the the kind of movement at that time and of course all of this, guys, was before the pandemic, right? Before every restaurant became a ghost kitchen. And um, very quickly, I came on board with the team, helped them build out the operating model. And, you know, between us, we we met pretty much every big restaurant chain in the States that was looking to explore ghost kitchens, trying to understand the digital disruption that was happening, trying to, you know, see whether this is a flash in the pan or something that really needed to be taken seriously or not. And you look... It's tough when you're doing something new, it's not easy to help people see that future, especially when you know there's hundreds of millions of dollars being plowed into this space and a lot of restaurants at that time were very begrudging towards the whole idea of this. And really that's where the genesis of the initial book came because I said to Meredith, I said, look, it would be a lot easier if we could just get, uh, get these guys a book 
get these guys a book which tells the story as to why this is happening, why the consumer is driving this change. And Meredith said to me, yeah, great idea, go, go get one. And I think that's where Meredith was hoping our book conversation of the story was going to end, quite honestly. Um, but that's not where it ended. Obviously, very quickly, we found out that there wasn't such a book that existed. Uh, we went on to, after leaving Kitchen United, to, to write the book, uh, interviewed over 100 different executives, both here in the US and further afield from restaurants. I don't recall getting that call, by the way. Uh, you didn't get that call? Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I spoke to you. They, they, yeah, they did try and call. I remember yeah. that. Yeah, thank, you know, I do remember you calling and yeah. I couldn't take yeah. the call. Yeah, yeah, I was, trying to, I was trying to get you to buy some books, <laughs> I think that's what it was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, pay for the color copy, Shatsy. But yeah, um, anyway, we, 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 ended up, um, we ended up having great success with it. You know, it became an international bestseller. Uh, we, we've, as I was just mentioning before the start of the call, it's now being translated into Romanian. The Romanian Restaurant Association is uh, wanting so to get it. The start. Every book that starts out in uh, Romanian, generally, it leads to many other countries, from what I'm told. Uh, right. So I think they are early will, adopters yes, over there. Yes, early adopters. So generally, this will probably go to 130 languages uh, worldwide after this. But listen, the last time you guys were on the podcast was June, and we ended the episode with uh, with breaking news that you were ready you were ready to uh, release a bonus chapter. In, in the first book, Delivering the Digital Restaurant. But it turns out that the bonus chapter, the bonus chapter actually became the second book. Boom. <laughs> the second book. <laughs> yeah. Can you share more about how this played out? Well, you're right. That's exactly how it was. And then it turned into a couple of chapters, and then three chapters. And then we said, look, this is, this is something that needs to probably have its own own kind of uh, covers. And for that, yeah, we, when we started, we thought, yeah, bonus chapter, no big deal. And then when the first draft was 17,000 words long, and just for perspective, a yeah. typical chapter is three to 5,000 words. So we were like, this is a big problem. Either we're going to have to dramatically trim the big content, chapter, or this is going to be more than one chapter. Um, and I think what, what happened was we had done all of these, um, you know, speaking tour conversations with restaurants and the same questions kept coming up over and over and over again. And we thought, we, well, we probably, we probably should release a book answering those questions because while the first book really answered that, why, why is this happening? As Carl said, you know, there were so many questions we were getting about, okay, I get it. I accept it. I accept the why this is happening. I need to do it, but how? Um, and so the, the second book is really about the how. The path to digital maturity. How I want to, do we do it? a different tone as well, though, guys. The first one is very much more businessy in, in nature. This one is more of a playbook, right? So it's got it's scattered throughout our tips. At the end of every chapter, there are worksheets. So it's something really where we're hoping that every restaurant that picks it up, every restaurant owner operator that picks it up, finds their place on this path that we're talking about, the path to digital maturity. And because of where we're at now with the pandemic in our rearview mirror, we're trying to help folks say, look, now's the time for focus. Focus on where you are on this path to digital maturity. Get good at that. Optimize yourself in that position and then move on to the next. Because the problem today is that the average restaurant has somewhere between 15 to 20 different pieces of technology. They're probably not using each of those pieces of technology as fully and, uh, and as uh, capably as they probably can. So now we're saying, look, focus in on this, get good at it and then move on to the next step on the path. You know, I, I'm digging this and I'm gonna jump in. I will say, um, I think you guys were um, way ahead of the curve. And I think you've become really the thought leaders in, in this space. And I try to explain to a lot of my friends who are very good at being guests of restaurants, but, but they don't necessarily understand the workflow and the processes and the complexity uh, because they are guests, they apply their guest experience and project it onto these businesses without understanding how this is a unique industry where the manufacturing facility and the retail facility are either just on a wall separates them and with the way kitchens are being designed now, there's no wall. Manufacturing, retail, right there, one place, and now you have this spike in off-premise uh, and the omni-channel that is it. And again, I, I love what you guys have done. So let's take a step back and define what is the digital maturity? What does the digital maturity mean? In short, you define it as a fully mature digital restaurant that takes advantage of all the technology tools available. Since I just read that from your book, 
Can you elaborate a bit more for our listeners to share how an operator could recognize where they fall on the maturity scale? Yeah, so so for us, the uh, a digitally mature restaurant is, and there's a story that is told in this, Jimmy, as you go through it, because in many ways, a fully digitally mature restaurant is one that in many ways needs to reorient its entire business model towards what it's gonna to take to become digitally mature. As we get to the very back end of the book, we talk about the digitally native restaurant and holistic technology. And the digitally native restaurant, I'll let Meredith elaborate on this in a moment, but it's, it's basically what we're saying is the next big category of restaurants. Ones that have actually reorientated their entire business, not just like added on some technology and you know tried to Frankenstein everything together to make it work, but actually it's being built from the ground up to be fully optimized for off-premise consumption. But then we also, in, this, in the, the last chapter, we talk about holistic technology, and that in many ways is a reference to the technologists out there that also need to do things differently to enable restaurants to become digitally mature, where you create more of a symbiotic relationship, where you have this interdependency between different technologies to truly allow the restaurant's operating system to harm at its maximum capacity. I love it. Let's take a deeper dive. Let's dig more into this book. The path to digital maturity, you categorize in four steps, four steps, grow sales, make space, shift POV, digital maturity. Without giving the book away to Jimmy, I'm going to wait for the movie to come out. Um, what can you share high level <laughs> on the thought process behind these categories? And can you explain each category to our listener? Listeners, yeah, Chad, we have more than one listener. Yeah, listeners. <laughs> yeah. Thousands, thousands. Just, just me, you, Jimmy. Just Jimmy. All right, I'm sorry. Meredith, I didn't mean to interrupt you. That, that one guy who's out there. Uh, one guy. Yeah, uh, one person. You. All right. Gross, let's start with gross sales. So We grew, I we think grew our listenership by 100%, by the way. <laughs> Ooh, that's exciting. We have one listener. Yeah. Uh, so let's start with gross sales. I think the attractive thing about all of this digitization delivery stuff and the way that it was sold to restaurants was you can have incremental sales volume, keep your dine-in, keep your walk-in traffic, and then tack onto that some incremental sales volume uh, associated with either third-party delivery or first-party order ahead or whatever it might be. And uh, that was, I think, certainly the case at the very beginning. I, you know, someone to argue now that it is reached a point where it's no longer incremental. Um, I think Noah Glass at Olo would say that actually the digital entirety is going to take over the whole restaurant. All transactions will be digital, whether they're on-prem or off-prem. Um, but certainly digital can grow sales. And we start with the very first chapter being about the third parties. And it is a controversial first chapter, I think, because many restaurants have a love-hate relationship with these third parties. They're driving sales, but they, they don't love the fees. They don't love losing their guest information and connection. They don't love uh, the lack of control that they have in the, in the process of it going out, right? There's a lot of things about it that are not great. D, all the above. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> I think the only thing we like is the sales. Exactly. <laughs> But we start with this chapter because um, there is an important role for these third parties to play and they can help your restaurant be found. So the very first chapter is called Be Found. Um, hungry consumers go to these uh, marketplaces to find what to eat. And if they're not familiar with your brand, that is the first place they're going to go. And I compare it um, to the food court at the mall. You know, when Yum enters a foreign country for the first time, they take their brands to the food court at the mall, historically, prob probably we're starting to get away from that, but historically they have. Why do they do that? They're paying top dollar rent. Um, often the rents are 2X, what they might be street side, but they're doing it because consumers are going there, they're seeing the brand, they're getting exposed to it, they're trying it and then they're able to migrate to street side and drive through and all the rest of it um, in the country. And the third party marketplaces are just the same, right? You might be paying top dollar to be on that digital real estate, uh, but you're getting exposed to a whole bunch of consumers who might not otherwise find your brand. Mm -hmm. And so we talk a lot about how to maximize the um, 
potential that your brand is found on these third parties um, in that chapter, including, by the way, Google ordering. We lump them together um, with the third parties because consumers do a lot of search there. Um, talk about search engine optimization and viewing these third parties as search engines for food. Um, but then remind you, if you're gonna bring them in, uh, don't be resentful of them. Don't, don't resent that channel. Treat it well because the whole purpose of it is to find new consumers and impress them with your food. That, I, I, I love it. Let me ask you something. What about the, um, <clears throat> I mean, just it kind of dovetails a little bit in this. Did you read that the, the, this week or la maybe it was last week that Uber was scrubbing, scrubbing their platform? They had like 40,000 virtual brands where basically it was exactly the same menu. It was Jimmy's Wings, Joe's Wings, Bob's Wings. It was every kind of wing, but it was all coming from Jimmy's Restaurant. I mean, what are your thoughts on, 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 on that? Uh, when you think about third party, you know, I mean, it's a great platform, but then I think it's loaded up and then it's like you discover it's hard to discover because, you know, Jimmy's got 400 wing concepts all coming out of the same place. So, I like totally wings. Right. It's it's a, it's a real challenge. I mean, the the I, I recorded a video recently because this first chapter that Meredith is referring to is my favorite chapter in the entire book, because for me, it's it's all about the fact that. Now you've gone from a yellow pages that once upon a time was relatively thin to this huge yellow pages and has loads of restaurants in it. And so it's a digital real estate game. That's all it is, right? Mm -hmm. If someone's searching for wings, is it better for me to search of the four different concepts coming from my restaurant as opposed to them searching from four separate ones? So what Uber's done here, I think is actually very smart. I think it's going to improve so. the guest experience entirely. Yeah, no, no, 100%. But it, was, it was very interesting. I don't know if a lot of the consumers out there recognize that that's even happening. So I think it goes back to the way it, you, it used to be. I remember back in the day when we first started on, on, on like uh, Seamless Web, which of course then became Grubhub. I mean, you had to prove that you had a brick and mortar. You had to send them your menu. I mean, there was a whole vetting process. It wasn't just, and, and the menu prices had to match your menu prices in store. It was, it was a much, so I, I think maybe it's getting, it's starting to get a little bit more control back, which I think is a good thing for the consumers and the restaurants. Well, I think that is true, but there will still continue to be virtual restaurants, right? So Uber Absolutely. was one of the early creators. Oh, no, I love the virtual. I was just talking about the the yep. the idea that some some folks are hijacking yeah. it and they're just Correct. like putting like yeah. they're just stacking on it. I mean, they scrubbed yeah. 40,000 menus off. But anyway, yeah. just a thought that it, we were talking about. It will about. end up differentiating into what is truly a virtual brand, yes. right? Someone who who has invested in brand, built relationship with consumer that happens to be fulfilled out of wherever it's fulfilled out of, yep. right? Instead of just these SEO tricks. Yeah, like Mr. Beast, that's a virtual brand. It's a brand. You right? know, Jimmy just coming up with 47 different names of wing concepts. Uh, well, that that's just hijacking the digital real estate, as Carl was saying, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why you're picking up my wing concept, uh, but I will say the following. <laughs> when, I, when I heard, when I heard what, what I read about what Uber uh, was doing, I actually thought about the famous Yogi Berra quote, uh, quote, which was, it's so popular, no one goes there anymore. I think there was such an explosion of brands, and I absolutely believe this, this digital um, experience, this digital proposition is absolutely here to stay. I think it reminds me when I was, my daughter was applying to kindergarten, um, and every school would say, we want to meet your child where they're at. I think the importance of the digital restaurant is to meet the guests where they wish to be. The optionality has spiked. And if you overwhelm them, the guests, with so many choices, it's like, how could they possibly sift through to find those digital restaurants or the restaurants with the best digital offering? They become somewhat um, you know, murky. It becomes opaque. They can't find the ones that are legitimately um, succeeding and delivering value, pun intended, in this space. I want to talk about the categorizations. Um, when you guys put this book together, the two of you defined a new restaurant category altogether, which Chats and I really do love and believe in, the digitally native restaurant. Can, can I ask you guys to share a little more about this and how restaurants will have to disrupt the way they run their own business and create a new business model to fit into this new mold, the digitally native restaurant? Yeah, it, so the chapter is titled Disrupt Yourself for exactly that reason, because it is about thinking totally differently about what a restaurant is and how it operates. And, uh, you know, I am a, a student of the restaurant industry and I love looking back at history. And one of the things that I notice is there are new concepts that come out all the time that drive growth in the industry. And we went from fine dining to counter service to QSR to 
delivered pizza to casual dining to fast casual. We haven't had a new concept released in restaurants since fast casual. That's over 20 years ago. And it makes you wonder what comes next? What comes after fast casual? And we believe it is the digitally native restaurant. And that restaurant is going to reorganize their entire activity around this digital relationship with the guest. But because of that, they're going to be able to offer more value and more convenience than other categories can. And the way that they'll offer more convenience, I think, is obvious, right? It'll come in the form of delivery. And in the first book, we say, what's more convenient than going through the drive-through? Not having to get in your car in the first place, right? So you'll have delivered convenience. And then it'll actually deliver more value because the way that restaurants spend money today, a whole bunch of money goes to things that I would argue consumers don't really care about. Right, unless yes. they're going to have an experience and you know sit down and fine dining, they don't care about the labor costs, they don't care about the real estate costs, right? They care about the food costs. They want to know how much food am I getting back for my dollar that I'm giving you, and how high quality is that food? And as um, consumers care more and more about that and about the delivered convenience, you've got to reorient the business model so that you're spending money on the things that consumers care about which is the quality of the food and the convenience of how, how the consumer procures it. And we believe the digitally native restaurant does exactly that. Now there's hundreds of them already out there experimenting in the US today, um, doing what I'm doing with Empower Delivery. I trip across them all the time, probably because I'm looking for them, but there are hundreds of these guys out there experimenting and girls experimenting with the business model and seeing how can I reorient, how can I give the consumer more value, more convenience? Um, and it is just, it's amazing to see. I think it will coalesce into the highest growth category in the industry. It's funny, I, 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 I always joke uh, at our restaurants, it's, uh, you don't generally have customers coming in saying, I gotta tell you, the food's terrible, but I gotta tell you, I understand your, your uh, labor costs are incredible. Uh, you know, or you know, your food's horrible, but I understand. You know, your uh, your operational costs or your inventory system is wonderful. From what I go, I mean, generally, you know, uh, it's it's about the food. I, I mean, if the food, it, it always starts out. If the food isn't good, then you've really gotten you got nothing, right? Hundred so, percent. And yeah. the food, the, the demands for the quality of food are just going up. You know, someone sent me an article yesterday about how millennials are three times more likely to order delivery than baby boomers. And I thought, well, that makes all the sense in the world. And why? Because if you follow, like um, NPD would say, that the rise of QSR in the 1990s and 2000s, what that was was working baby boomer mothers trying to feed their millennial children mm -hmm. in between jobs, school, and after-school activities. Right. And now, fast forward, those millennial children have grown up and they're trying to do the same thing, but they want better food. Better food. Right? They're saying, yes. how can I get that same convenience that my mom got at the drive-thru for me when I was a child, but I want to get you know, whatever it is they want to get. They want to get vegan food or they want to yeah. get salads or they want to get scratch made, whole food, whatever it is that they're into. They're trying to procure those things for their children. And the answer is delivery. Yeah, and I think it dovetails into it. You know, it's interesting. I have, my kids are what, 18, 20 and 22. And uh, they will only order digitally. They won't ever use the phone to call anybody, nobody. I mean, nothing. No one will ever get a phone call and they will not call anybody. And they're also obsessed with, with the quality of the food, the ingredients. That's why I think emerging brands that are reaching out to different flavor profiles in different regions of the world to bring different, you know, it's not just burgers and pizza. I mean, there's so many interesting things, you know, whether it be Greek or Thai, et cetera, and, and, and Indian. And that's why these are so many great emerging brands are coming up and they're using better ingredients because I think a lot of the younger generation are really concerned about the over-processed, et cetera. And it's not just the flavor. It's got to be super high quality to your point. So it's, it's really interesting. Let's just shift gears a little bit and talk about uh, technology a little bit, because I mean, after all, digital, it's, it's technology. The last chapter of your book, you talk about how tech companies need to do things differently in, in order to reach restaurants, creating what you're calling a symbiotic restaurant system. Mm. Symbiotic, I like to call it the SRS, Jimmy. <laughs> That's why I always call it the SRS. Can SRS. you elaborate a little bit on SRS? Yeah, for sure. Look, the part of the, the reason why this falls at this stage, or at the end of the book, is A, because in a way it is a message to the technologists. 
the technologists need to help restaurants truly become better at what they do. And today, um, we're seeing a lot of consolidation, right? We're seeing, I was at a conference just last week in Vegas, and I kid you not, I must have seen 10, 15 different technology providers saying, you're all in one solution. You're all in one solution. And it's like, oh, great. Now I can buy these guys and I can go home, I'm done. The problem is those all-in-one solutions aren't really doing everything. They're doing maybe a little bit or, or they're doing everything average. Right, and they don't so, do everything great, right. They don't do everything great. And sometimes not even, not even good enough. Yeah, and sometimes those things have been acquired through acquisition and sometimes they have been built internally, but they've been built for a specific need state. And part of our challenge in, in this book to the, the technologists is to say, how do we get to create an ecosystem where the different technologies can work together in this symbiotic relationship. And what I mean by that in, in very practical terms is, imagine you have some form of data input that comes in to the restaurant. Let's say you get two cooks that call out tonight that, that are ill. Well, that obviously is going to feed into your payroll system, maybe your scheduling system. But what if it could link into your open table so that if therefore your amount of table reservations tonight are restricted? What if it fed into my company's setup with Juicer so that way your off-premise prices perhaps go up by 5% to, to accommodate that, to quench some of that demand? Imagine if that one little bit of data, that one input to the restaurant operating system can then have this interdependent relationship that creates a better overall system for the restaurant to manage. Because you speak to any restaurant GM today and they all say, when that stuff happens, it doesn't matter what technology is in place. I got to deal with it. You know, I got to deal with that, those kind of problems. And I think that's where technology still has a role to play. It's still some journey for us to go on. And I'm excited about that, but it's going to need to be more than just your typical APIs. It's not, and, and you just need to look at the, the big established players out there today and the time it's taking to bring new technology innovations into their systems and the way in which this whole kind of setup is creating a, a complicated arrangement of, of, of time to bring that innovation to market. You know, what we need almost is the equivalent of the Apple operating system with the App Store. Right? And you've, yeah, you've got to go through the necessary steps to qualify to be a, a, a good app on the App Store. But then, if you want this app, if you want to turn it on, if you want it to be like a, a Chrome plugin, then it's live and active. And you know, my, my company, Inducer, with Dynamic Pricing, we're trying to be that type of headless commerce approach. Uh, and, and for some folks that haven't heard of headless commerce before, I, I try to characterize it as like a Chrome plugin. Not Chrome, but a plugin that you've got available to you that works within the Chrome system. No, I think you're crushing it, and and I'll give Shatz his SRS symbiotic restaurant system. It branded, we call it for technologists. We want to work and support, and specifically invest in ones. We call it um, hospit uh, operator centric, allies to the operator. If they're not building for and thinking about the integrations and the bundled solution and the friction, which comes. It is disastrous when these things don't work together. I know there's been an explosion and I dare say even a saturation of tech, but the fact is we're in the early innings because we're nowhere near this symbiotic restaurant system, which you articulated much better than we ever do. But we're always telling tech companies, your customer, your the restaurant is your customer. Help them take care of their guests. Do not try to squeeze in between the operator and their guests, which is what I think a lot of tech companies unfortunately still do and think about. Listen, while putting this book together, you interviewed some of the top CEOs, owners, Infors of the industry. Chat, your phone is busy. I told you I had to work that. And I know this question might be akin to asking you who your favorite child is. But if you're comfortable, can you share maybe, is there anyone specific that you interviewed that certainly was maybe uniquely or most impactful to helping you create the content? I, I, I know they all were helpful yeah. and impactful. Anyone come to mind that you want to share with our audience? And I'd like you to mention names. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> name, name. <laughs> you know what's funny? In the first book, um, I think... Alex Cantor had the most quotes in the first book. He Alex was Alex Cantor. Okay, there's a big shout out. Hey, book know. one. Book one. And, and then uh, um, Zach Goldstein also had a very significant portion in the book. And Zach Goldstein, big shout out there. Um, just incredible thought leaders in the industry, and they they do show up in the in the second book as well. But I think in the second book, I don't know, Carl, what you think, but I would say Avinav Kapoor of Vicky. Nice. Um, interesting here all three of the people you just mentioned have great hair isn't mm. that interesting 
That's something we got to think about. about. Do yeah. people that have great hair, yeah. are they good people to be interviewed for your third book? Well, maybe you it's like because their brain is so smart, it's like fertilizer for their hair. Jimmy, <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> think about it. All great hair. I got to contest this oh, one because oh, I, I was going to say that. Oh, contest. I like it. Go ahead. There's, there's a guy like called it. Stephen Crowley that we interviewed in the first book and the second book. There aren't many people he's that necessarily gone. appear in both yeah. books. And Stephen doesn't have yeah. much hair, but he's part of a company called Service Physics. And uh, there's a component part of the middle of the book we didn't talk about today, which is about making space in the sense of all these additional cells are th being thrown on top of today's current operating system of a restaurant. And companies like Service Physics are helping restaurants figure out how to change their operating model to make the necessary space to really be able to give the guest a great experience. Because, you know, if you don't adapt your operation in the same way as drive through had to adapt its operation when that was introduced, you're going to create a poor experience. And guys, look, the, the, the off-premise experience today is not good. You just look at any stat or any surveys that are done, the guest is actually getting increasingly frustrated with accuracy, timeliness, all those types of things. And so, you know, as much as we're big proponents and we will say, look, be excited about off-premise, we've got to do a better job. And that starts at the heart of operations. And Stephen Crowley, um, he's doing some great things. And that's why him and his business partner were in book two as well. Yeah, but I think you bring up a very good point. First, I do remember that part in the book, and it wasn't as good as the other three uh, parts. So I'm going to stick with uh, a lot of hair, better uh, interview. Just kidding, just kidding, <laughs> just kidding. I will say, uh, to your point, as restaurants are being built, they're certainly building them different. I mean, they're, they're just building them different because they're taking that into account. I mean, you've got you know hundreds and hundreds of thousands of existing restaurants that are really either being retrofitted or just trying to deal with this explosion of off-prem in the same four walls and footprint they had to deal with their business before. So to your point, you know, and that'll take time to continue to change. You know, I know that Shake Shack, as they build the new stores, now they're putting drive-throughs in. They never were doing drive-throughs. Some restaurants are retrofitting and putting other lanes in. So it'll continue to happen, but you're right. I mean, that's that's where it's happening. And I think restaurants, uh, you know, it's it's a big capex, but they'll 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 get to it for sure. Good time to be in construction. That's what I say. Good yes, time for construction. Yes. Listen, I want to shift gears and get to our talking back. Um, Shats and I started this podcast. We clearly have a lot of fun uh, bringing on uh, great industry uh, folks and pros, and we get to talk with them. But we learned along the way that sometimes our guests have a question for us. So let's kick off talking back. We're going to offer you guys the chance to ask us a question or two. And as we like to say, nothing is off the table. The microphone is yours. Oh, I love it. Okay, great. So behind Shatty's head, I can see a monitor saying the word hospitality. So guys, what is the best example of digital hospitality you are seeing out there right now? Ooh, fantastic, fantastic question. Yeah, I got to tell you, I mean, I just look at hospitality in a very broad sense, you know, I because, I, you know, I, I think like, you know, Uber and Lyft to me, that's hospitality. You know what I mean? I, I just think, uh, you know, so I, I look at it as very broad. It's not just the 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 app to order on, online, but that's that's hospitality. You know, that experience of ordering food, that's hospitality. If there's a lot of friction, then it's not good hospitality. You know, um, using a QR code to pay, if it doesn't work really well or it's a lot, that's bad. So I just look at the hospitality. It's across the, 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 even the airlines, you know, the good, a good airline app. If I'm using d digitally to go onto Delta or what have you and check in and, and pick my seat and, 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 and order food. I mean, those are all, so I look at it very broad and I just think that um, there's a tremendous amount of tech out there. And when folks are thinking about technology and hospitality, I'm not sure that they're, I think they're not connecting all the dots because even the online reservation system, I mean, that's a form of hospitality, you know, are you making that um, uh, easier for us to use? Or is it like like Tables, a company that, that we, we love, where you can pick the table you want? That's a, that's a part of hospitality now. I'm making that a better experience. I can pick the table I want to sit at, not just you know come in and make a reservation. So, so many different areas that I love. So it's not one particular company, but I think yeah. it's, it's, it's overarching. Jimmy's gonna make wanna... it so much better. Well, look, actually, I think I think it was a great question, and I have several uh, I have experiences 
come to mind, but out of respect for the length of our of our of our show and and our listeners, the one that came to my mind at the top of the list, Shatz and I were heading to the uh, FS Tech Conference over in Dallas, mm. and we were boarding our flight when we got a text. Each of us got a text from Marriott Bonvoy about uh, checking in, which we uh, sorry, and getting our digital key and ordering if we want anything to uh, eat or drink, we could do that as well. And as Chad said, the idea was there, and then the question is, what was the execution? And I have to say, I'll give a shout out to Bonvoy and the whole Marriott crew. The execution was perfect. The check-in, the digital key, we arrived in our room, just went right into, right where we needed to go, went, walked into our room, and within minutes after arriving, our respective food came to our rooms. And I thought the entire thing was truly a seamless experience and I noted it. And the next time we were traveling to a conference where that was not offered, none of it was offered, even the kiosks to check in when we got to the uh, hotel weren't working. I, I really felt like, look what a great experience we had and recognize it for that seamless digital experience, including getting the food to our room uh, within minutes of our arrival, which they knew, and versus the alternative. So that to me was a unique digital experience that I now remember and I it increases my desire yeah. to work with and stay at Marriott hotels because they've created that experience for me and that was an entirely digital experience so Shatsy by the way ding ding my answer was much better than yours yeah no but you know what I wanted to say it was really funny because I know exactly what you're talking about hey I love that experience we, ch we checked in which is great online got a digital key great Got to the hotel. It, it opened the door because sometimes it does. It opened the door. Great. Knock, knock, knock. And there was my burger, beer, and franchise. It was awesome. But I will say to the to your point about the other experience, it was in Las Vegas. I'm not going to mention the hotel, but you know the conference. It was a big one, and it's a big conference. And that hotel knew that three thousand, and they know that they know the conference name. Three thousand restaurant. Uh, uh, operators and finance people were coming to their hotel and they could have had those kiosks working. All of them were out. So you know a giant conference is coming. Get someone in there to fix that stuff and make it work for that. You know, we got a big conference and um, we got to that hotel and they were like 400 people. Jimmy, we knew almost everyone online because we were all there, we're all friends and we were couldn't believe standing there like idiots and all we were trying to do is get a key. They had my credit card already. We already booked the room. They already, oh, get a key. That's all I want to do. So I basically, I was can I have my key, please? <laughs> and we stood there. It took 45 minutes. Anyway, uh, listen, this is a great segue right now. And that was a great question, by the way. I really dug it. Uh, food service feud. Are you ready? Food service feud. Here we go. I'm ready. I'm we ready. ask, we ask over 100,000 people on LinkedIn every Tuesday on a little fun poll that we do every Tuesday. Fun Paul asked random questions about the hospitality, business, food, beverage, whatever. And we asked 100,000 people surveyed to give their feedback uh, on this poll. Are you guys ready to play the food service feud? Meredith, Carl, get your buzzer. Jimmy, you're playing too. Get your buzzers ready. We asked 10 million people, what is your favorite revolving sushi chain? Carl, Carl was first before anybody. Carl, go. Did you like my beep? Um, I loved so, it. I loved it. <laughs> but, oh, that was the that was the wrong answer. Go, go. Yo Sushi. It's a UK revolving sushi bar that I love. You know, I got to tell you, it's not on there. I know it. I guess our producer hasn't been to London in a while. Didn't know. It. I'm gonna have to go to Jimmy. Jimmy, you can steal it. You can steal oh, it. And I got a lot of love for Yo Sushi, but but wasabi is my answer. Mm. Ding 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 ding. Wasabi number one on the board. And a little shout out. That's that's. That's Bo's. Uh, that's Bo's place, right? Is that Bo's place? I think. I think Bo. Right. I think Bo owns the owns that. Uh, listen, Meredith, not to leave you out. You can still. I'm going to give you a lot of credit. You can get. There's two, three, and four up on the board. Kira. Kura, bang, bang, bang. And that is our friend Karen Stutz's restaurant, right? She's involved in Kura Sushi. Kura Sushi. And then followed by Sushi Rama and Hamazushi Sushi. So don't know those two, but I do know Kura and I do know uh, Wasabi, and they are awesome. So uh, there we go. And the big winner here is uh, is our own Jimmy Freshling. And yes. with uh, Meredith pulling in uh, second. And Carl, uh, I've got nothing for you. 
got nothing for you <laughs> or the family in the food service. I got nothing. I'm saying. I think we might need to remind Carl about the rules of Family Feud. This isn't about your preference. This is about the respondents' preference. Yeah, Carl's ten million people. He has ten million people. That number keeps going up. You are clearly not an international audience, though. You guys, if you want hospitality hangout to be big in the UK, we've got to get some British brands out there. There's a little, there's a little sushi place in Australia. I always like. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not about the. It's not what you like, to Meredith's point. It's what Meanwhile, ten million people like. Meanwhile, Carl's gonna walk into the next Yo Sushi when he's in London, and they're gonna be like, Carl. Yeah, exactly. I'm gonna walk into a zombie. They're gonna go, Who are you? Anyway, all right. Listen. At the top of the episode, we played our little game, uh, two truths uh, and and a lie. I'm gonna quickly do a refresher. A shot. You're gonna have to guess. Uh, remember that the three facts, two are true, one's a lie. Meredith's husband is a hypnotist. I think two, this is like Carl, ta- this is like taking candy from a baby. Jimmy. Carl was what hypnotized to bark like a dog in three. Yes, Meredith Carl was definitely hit by, hypnotized by a dog. <laughs> Go ahead, and, what's the, and what's the second factoid, Shatty? I think Meredith's husband's a hypnotist. She, she hypnotized Carl. He started barking like a dog, and Meredith had a great laugh. Probably right. did it at, 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 at a dinner party, and I it was think- probably hysterical. All three are true, is, is what you're saying? All three. No, he's, wow. he's oh, saying no, no. He, Meredith was, he's saying was not the one who hypnotized. It was Meredith's husband who did the hypnotizing. Ah. One and two are true. Meredith, you did not hypnotize Carl. You had you do not have those powers. Do not. I do not. I can get him to do a lot of things, like write a book. <laughs> yes, uh, yes. <laughs> but no, barking like a dog is not on the list. <laughs> but your husband is a hypnotist. He is a hypnotist. You see, Jimmy, I am crushing it at this You're day. crushing it. And he, and he runs the largest hypnosis conference in the world as well, would you believe so? Is that right? Yeah. yeah. He, was, he hasn't hypnotized that yet. That could be dangerous. Yeah. And, and has he taken the spell off you, Carl? Or are you still barking like a dog? <laughs> Woof. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Jimbo, Jimbo, I'm got, we're jumping right into the quick fire now. Quickfire, baby. All right, quick listen, we, got, we're, we don't have a lot of time here. Uh, we're already late. We started a little late, but Brandon, quickfire. Five lightning round questions. Here we go. I'm going to ask Carl Meredith. You'll answer one in tandem. Uh, Meredith, you will answer first. Carl, you will take the second one. After each question, I will ask. Okay, here we go. Five lightning round questions. Meredith, eggs, scrambled or sunny up? Sunny side up. Sunny. Carl, same question. Sunny. Meredith, where are you getting dinner from tonight? I don't know. It's only Yo, sushi. Like Yo, sushi. Yo, sushi. <laughs> Carl, same question. Uh, Mendocino Farms. Oh, love Mendocino Farms. And now Great we know place. that Carl plans ahead. Oh, yeah, no, uh-huh. he's been thinking about that since yesterday. Wow, amazing. What is your favorite food city in the world, Meredith? San Francisco. Carl. Bangkok. So exotic, Carl, you know? Yo, uh-huh. sushi, now this. I'm just saying, we've got to think about you international listeners. Yeah, where is your favorite place to travel? Croatia. Interesting. Carl, same question. Mm, let's go with the Maldives. Wow. Maldives, have you ever been to the Maldives? Yeah, for my honeymoon, going back again this year, Shatsy. Wow, I mean, i gotta, I got to hang out with Carl more. I mean, seriously. The Maldives, that's where you see the hotels that are like over the water, like, you know, you're seeing, like, you're looking down. Yeah, um, I got to get out. About eight months from now, I'll send you a selfie from that very yeah. same <laughs> I mean, I went, I went, like, downtown for, like, that was yeah. vacation, you know? Anyway, all right, Meredith, if you were to challenge Jimmy or I to an Easter egg hunt to collect the most <laughs> eggs, who would you have better odds of beating? Shotzi. Really? Jimmy, have you, have you shown Meredith a brace in the leg? Shatsy, she doesn't know about the leg injury. You would lose so much interest in the Easter egg hunt. You wouldn't even participate. I think <laughs> I'd, I'd get an egg, and then I'd say, "What? There's nothing in the egg," and I'd be upset. <laughs> Carl, yeah. Carl. Well, look, I, I, go, I, Meredith. I, I love to, I love to be fair with you guys. I, I went with Jimmy the last time you asked me this question. I can't remember what it was, so this time I'm going to go with Shatsy only because of Jimmy's injury. Jimmy, <laughs> you And Meredith, you were going to say. So here's my theory: is as the finance guy. He has he has counted every egg. He knows how many there are, and he's going to keep track of them. And he's going to be on them and get them all until he's done. Whereas you, I think you're more likely to, you know. I would definitely get give up. Distracted by the chocolate bunny. 
Yes, thank you. Meredith, I, uh, I'm not going to agree with everything you just said, just all of it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would agree. I would agree. <laughs> Listen, Carl and Meredith, thank you so much for joining us uh, today on The Hangout uh, and for sharing all your great insights. We really do love what you guys are doing, not just in your respective companies, but the collaboration, the books, the leadership, the thought leadership. Um, it's really great and it's very much needed in our industry. And you guys are the OGs of the uh, of the thought leadership we feel in this digital divide and the transformation we're going through. So thank you for everything you're doing. If you guys, any of our listeners want to get in touch with Carl and Meredith directly, you can email the podcast team at podcast at brandedstrategic.com. We'd be happy to make the introduction to our listeners. We can't thank you enough for continuing to tune in with us and escalating uh, our subscribership. We make fun that it's like basically uh, the three people and all with the last name Frischling, but the truth is our subscriber base continues to soar and we know there are hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there and, and are continuing to roll through episodes and seasons. Uh, it couldn't happen without you, so thank you. If you haven't done it already, please subscribe to our podcast. You don't miss out on any of the exciting guests we have coming up in the future. And better yet, invite a friend to hang out with us the next time. So until then, with great appreciation to Meredith and to Carl, uh, we thank you. And I'll pass it back to my boy Shachi to close us out. Thank you, Jimbo. And I just want to make sure that all listeners know where to get this new book, Delivering the Digital Restaurant, The Path to Digital Maturity, coming to a theater near you this summer. Where are we getting the book? Well, you can certainly get it on Amazon if you'd like to support those marketplaces. It's on a Kindle version, hardbacks. and uh, Amazon.com, if oh. anyone has heard of that company. Yeah. It is a big company. They sell books. You can go get it there. Uh, also, all Barnes & Noble bookstores. Carl and Meredith will be speaking uh, at, Car at Barnes & Noble here in uh, Union Square today. That's a lie. I just made that up. I just always <laughs> wanted to say that. <laughs> they'll be signing all of their – they'll be signing books at, the, uh, at a Barnes & Noble near you. <laughs> I always wanted to say that. Well, maybe Barnes and Noble will give us the corner. They've heard you. It's you know you're, you're putting that out there, Shatsy. So when that Barnes happens, and Noble, if you're there. looking for a, uh, a a book signing, uh, Carl and Meredith have some time to sign some books. They are ready and able. So again, delivering the digital restaurant, their second book, The Path to Digital Maturity. It is a quick and easy read. Uh, I have given it to Jimmy, and he has read it, uh, and he told me he loved it. Uh, again, I am waiting for the movie, and we are in discussions right now with some incredibly large production companies for this movie. So we're super excited. Anyway, Shatsy, the restaurant guy, signing off. Thank you, Carl. Thank you, Meredith, for all the work you do. This is awesome. Uh, cheers, everybody. Cheers. Thanks, guys.